You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Cook and Core Awareness. And this is one of my podcasts with Carol and Agnesiums. And I'm very excited to have you all here with us. And I'm looking forward to our conversation around uh, the fluid core and gravity, how we understand the psoas from a very functional and yet new paradigm from the biomechanical paradigm. Uh, I just want to make a couple announcements. Core Awareness is my website. And uh, Carol and I are going to be doing a workshop coming up in just a couple of weeks in Lawrence, Kansas, to really implement the ideas that we're talking about and bridging this idea of uh, what I call bio-intelligent tissue, which is the psoas, and how especially massage therapists, but anyone, body workers, physical therapists, whoever is working with bodies, um, to start giving some real skills on how to do this. So that's what our intention is. But the workshop's open to anyone. So whether you're a Pilates instructor or a yoga teacher or a gyrotonics or a dancer or whatever, and you want to experience this, you'll also have an opportunity to do some real direct experience. Um, and I think it will be really beneficial to everybody who attends. So uh, we're looking forward to it. It's our first time of teaching together, but we've known each other for a while and we are kind of in sync with our ideas. So I want to tell you just a little bit about Carol. I'm going to introduce her and then she's going to fill in more um, in regard to who she is and what her background is. But just to say, she's been in the bodywork field for over 40 years. And she's an author, a teacher. She travels all over the world. And uh, she was trained in the Rolf uh, traditions. Uh, she, was in a, she is a uh, Rolf instructor. And she's also gone into a craniosacral, the biodynamic, embryological world, and brought that into her work. And her work is quite profound. I've experienced it directly. And um, I think it's very deep and, and very um, effective. So, Carol, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Liz. Uh, let's begin by uh, just 
filling in people a little more about how, why did you make the shift from this kind of functional perspective, pretty biomechanical view of body to this embryological biointelligent view of body? Um, I like to quote a colleague of mine, Rosemary Fitus, who says that we're embryos through our lifetime. And I found that in contacting the movement, literally the wave of movement, how form emerges in someone's body gives so much more. um, It's like you go back in time, not in a regressive way, but just to begin to, again, recognize or witness how something, how the anatomy comes into, into being. And I found that in working that way, sometimes pain or surgeries that have interrupted the, a really fine functional process, surgery does interrupt that, that by reaching back into those embryological gestures of formation, that there's a deep healing that occurs. And so now in my work, that seems to be coming more and more to the fore as I study more embryology and also embody that sense of the fluidity of our beginnings. I'm wondering about um, how someone begins to bridge these two conversations, because here you are trained this way and yet trained in a in a, in a fairly structural way, and yet you're talking about fluids. So let's introduce the concept of a fluid system to what appears in a body to be a very structured system. Mm-hmm. Well, one way you could begin to touch into that fluid system is first just visualize um, the body, a skeleton, a person, a friend standing in front of you And you'll see that the feet have a diaphragm. That diaphragm that's created by the three arches of the feet is like a pulsing, uh, a pulsation, like a head of a drum. And that pulsation travels through to the knees. So we're looking at not only the verticality of a structure, but also the horizontal, the functional horizontal membranes within a structure. In addition, what forms are these lordoses, these curvatures? So if you follow from the feet to the back of the knees, to the lumbar curve, to the cervical curve, and then around the cranium to the top of the head, you can begin to see or visualize a wave that is inherent in the structure and yet can get so disregarded because of focusing on just a biomechanical fix. So I'm looking at the wave that travels through. Then you can begin to see that, oh, if I start working with the tissues and the interstitial movement of the fluids or at the center of the bone, is this beautiful marrow that's spongy and lattice-like. And as, as we deepen into contact with these different structures, these different forms with, that we live in, 
that fluidity begins to come to the surface. Well, my first instinct is to ask you, how do you feel or sense or see the marrow in a bone? Well, everyone can try this with their own thigh wherever you're sitting, whether you're in Dallas or Michigan or New Hampshire. Um, Just let your hand, or if you're with a friend, let your hand just rest gently on, let's say, your thigh. Okay, so you may be feeling um, your hand in one place. What I'm going to ask you to do is allow yourself to sense more the back of your hand rather than the palm surface. You might notice that as you sense more of the back of your hand than the palm or surface that's in contact with your thigh, and if you ask your system to begin to show you, let's say, the femur bone, you might notice that the bone literally begins to show itself to you. It may be easier to do this little exploration with a friend or client, but the body is intelligence. It's consolidated intelligence, and it will show us what we are asking for if we're not too focused on getting it, but if we allow with a more afferent or receptive hand, the body begins to show itself. You can do this anywhere. So then, or you might ask first to sense the quadricep muscle and then go from there into the bone. And as the bone surfaces into your hand, you may begin then to to ask to sense the marrow, which is that spongy aliveness. And remember, the connective tissue of our body, whether we're talking bones, fascia, muscle, ligaments, is totally related to the circulatory system. Bone and blood come from the same embryonic layer called the mesoderm. So immediately, we have this relationship. And as we know, in relationships, things begin to reveal themselves, not in isolation, but in that community, in that recognition of its alikeness, its aliveness. And there's different layers to fluids. So one way to also think about it is that every tissue is... um, uh, basically, we are tissue, and so you're looking at gradations of tissue, and and uh, and so this brings us to kind of gravity, because gravity, in my understanding, is what shapes. It doesn't what create bone, for example, but it shapes bone. So let's go into the importance of connecting to gravity. Well, gravity is a fascinating thing, and I really didn't understand it. And so in about 1996, I started writing the book, A Fabric of Wholeness, because I wanted to explore what gravity was in, in relationship to me. And, you know, I think 
uh, we're all taught, you know, Newton saw the apple fall. And we think that gravity is one directional. Oh, it's what takes us down into the ground. But actually, and this is what Dr. Rolfe saw, she saw, and this is what was happening in quantum physics at that time, that gravity is actually two-directional, that it's both a grounding force that takes us into Earth, but also it lifts. The, the thing is, is that this ground and lift actually happens simultaneously. We can be caught in one side of that swing or another. Or we could talk about gravity as having both the geotropic force and the phototropic force. So we're both connected to ground as well as to the sun and the light and the spaciousness around us. So, so we want to start changing our understanding of gravity to not just the force that pulls us down, but also the force of levity, of that lightness, of the lift. And this is what Dr. Rolf saw when she started working with the core of the body in this midline. And just as an aside, the core is not a thing. It is a relationship. And and sometimes I think in some... Uh, different forms and we used to talk about the the gravity line or the Rolf line but it's again not a thing but this relationship to verticality which is inherent in us down and up and and going back to the embryological concept one of the reasons I call the so as the messenger of the midline and I know in embryology they don't really use the word midline anymore for the same reason, because it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an axis, just like the North and South Pole. You can't go and find the exact spot, but it's a, it's a, a, a place of magnetism. It's a place of its own gravity. We each have our own center of organizing. And then it seems to me, we then enter earth sphere and we're, we're playing in both our mother and father's, gravitational force but then the earth's gravitational force or i guess it's not a force anymore it's a a field so um yeah let's talk about how did that shift from this centering because i think of the psoas is really informing us it's that biointelligent tissue that's informing us about whether we are integral whether we're coherent and then we're we're in this larger gravitational field that you're saying moves in these different directions. So let's talk about that relationship. So when we talk about the psoas, traditionally, they talk about the insertion, origin and insertion. But you want to, you want to take away those words because there are two active forces. That one that lifts the upper center of the psoas, the upper attachments, and one that literally speaks to more ground. And so in that two-directional, and every muscle has two directions, but the psoas is this incredibly sleek, long muscle that traverses our body and has attachments that literally can move pulsation from ground all the way up to that lumbodorsal hinge at the back 
of our diaphragm that begins to communicate between the pulsations that move from ground to the information that flows from the space and you could say the heavens around us. And so the psoas becomes this uh, communicator, as you say, Liz, for information through our body about the world that we're embedded in. Mm-hmm. It's also orienting us. And I think orientation is often not spoken of in relationship to the gravity field. But if we talk embryologically, the first nerves to myelinate, myelination just allows a faster response through the nerve um, fibers, are the nerves, the vestibular nerves, which are the nerves essential for orientation in space. That happens about uh, within the first three to four weeks after fertilization. So orientation in space, and I believe the psoas has a lot to do with that orientation, how it keeps us upright and allows that sense of ground, the sense of lift to travel through, that we begin to see what orientation in the whole vestibular system that begins so early in our life and is a key for survival. It's how we get our out through the birth canal, that orientation of head to earth, the spinal movement that takes us out into the world. That's interesting because one of the things I play with is the ignition in the mm-hmm. belly core that happens. And in what, as a developmental phase, <clears throat> it happens, uh, you could say, the initiation of that moment of starting the spiral down through the birth canal. And it's, right. that, it's that transition or that, that threshold between mother's uterus and fetus where the pressure on the head, the pressure on the feet, that, that relationship kind of if, if almost like a spring effect brings the body into an ignition in the belly core that starts the spiral. So it's right there, the psoas, for those of you who are still kind of locating it. So if you look at where the navel is, it's right behind the navel. And of course, it, it goes much further than that in both directions, but it's, it's literally literally in the very core of your being and it's this ignition that actually moves in both directions then to Mm -hmm. ignite birth right absolutely and i find it's interesting to talk to people who are work with people because many people don't have that ignition maybe they were c-section maybe they were induced um and they their 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 system actually hasn't had the opportunity to ignite. So I don't know if you want to play with that in, a, in any more relationship to this idea of gravity, but um, I'm open to hearing what you have to say. Well, that's where physio balls are so great because when that orientation through the vertex of the cranium, that very top of the cranium, if that's been somehow that didn't complete itself, what I have found over time with different clients who have, let's say, had C-sections or 
any kind of medicalized intervention in their birth is that uh, a lot of times they'll tell me, oh, when I was a little baby, I used to crawl through my mother's legs. She'd be sitting and I'd get underneath her legs and I'd crawl through them. And I think how intelligent is that, mm-hmm. that we're always trying to complete something that wasn't quite completed. Yeah. But sometimes I'll work with a physio ball, a softer one, not not anything hard, um, that's inflated too too much, so that somebody on all fours or on their forearms and knees can begin to find that directional push through the vertex of the cranium and back through their tail, their sacrum, and just that slow penetration through the into the physio ball and then back. So that spiraling movement that you're talking about, Liz, begins to. Um, be completed in through their own system, and um, it usually brings their cranium into a different relationship with their body, mm. and then into the different relationship to what we would call the vertical. I would think that's right. That's right. It's like the midline. The midline emerges. We all have a midline. We all have this core, and sometimes it's just about oh. Finding the way to, as you say, ignite those reflexes so that that can begin to reveal itself again. We don't have to do anything. We don't bring it out. It reveals itself. And it's so beautiful. We can support that. But um, it's there for everyone. Well, I think this idea, I, I feel pretty adamant that people need to realize how much we're inundated with a biomechanical understanding of body that we mm-hmm. perceive body as machine, and you used a good example. We talk about uh, insertions and origins, and I defy anyone to tell me who inserted their psoas. Um, <laughs> right. You know, um, and so to to turn it around to realize that we're using a mechanistic language and a mechanistic imagery on what is an organic process. So changing one of my conversations is changing body as object to body as process. And when we look at core from that perspective, then the psoas is growing out of this midline. It's, it's growing out of this embryological intelligence. That's absolutely right on. And I think that if we talk about the body as process, we are always changing. We're a fluid system. We're not static. And it's the language sometimes that keeps us in a, reduct- a reductionist model. Mm-hmm. And so literally watching the language that we use to describe body. Body is not a machine. Mm-hmm. We don't take... I mean, I work on so many people who've had um, surgery. And come, they come from a which sometimes is totally necessary. I'm not saying you should never do this in any way. It's totally necessary. But the recovery takes sometimes years. And it's often because I think even in knee replacement, they're not simple. You can't just take something out and put something in and expect the body to integrate it. The body tissue is so alive and whole, you literally have to reintegrate the titanium or whatever it is that they used in the knee replacement into the tissues of the body. Mm 
And um, and in the way we talk about the leg or our leg, and uh, it's just very amazing to me that 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 mindset, that reductionist mindset, keeps our vision also very foveal, very focused on part, rather than seeing whole. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I like to work with is the peripheral vision, so that not only do we see what's in front of us, or if we're uh, body therapists, what our hands are contacting, but we're always contacting the wholeness, sensing the back of the body, even though we can't see it. From the ankle, sensing through the leg into the hip joint so that wholeness is what the body is and sometimes the biomechanical approach limits and uh, focuses so much on a part at the exclusion of everything else that is its support around it. Good point. I'd like to bring this another layer to the idea, because I think it's important when it comes to psoas. Um, People come because they have what they think is a psoas problem. And I say, no, you know, that's not, it's the psoas is a messenger. It's rarely the problem. It's, It's informing us that something else is disrupted. There's a lack of coherency. There's a lack of um, integrity in the system. And therefore it doesn't feel safe. So, so it ignites a lot of the fight and flight responses, and, and it's not oriented, it, just what you're saying. There's a lack of disorientation, and that creates a fear response, because so it should, because you're, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to whether it's stepping off the curb and getting hit by the car or, or stepping off and falling down the stairs or whatever it is. Um, and so the sense of proprioception or the vestibular system is, I think, one of its main messages. So in that concept, I think it's interesting, and I want to speak to this because I think we hold the the mechanical model so close to ourselves that we don't see it in ourselves. The languaging around core, most work around core is about stabilization. And it's about how do we stabilize it so we can move the arms and legs. And that's a mechanistic model where the spine is no longer the vital midline that's communicating to the buds of arms and legs. It's being stabilized even to such extremes as putting cement in discs or the fusion or the rods or whatever to stabilize the spine. The only way that makes sense is if you're looking at it mechanistically as if it's a pole and, right. you're, and you're, you're creating more support for the pole. But if you're seeing the system as a, from the way you're working embryologically, then we have to look at why would you ever interrupt the very midline? Why wouldn't you support that midline to be more and more lush, juicy, fluid, and coherent? That's right. So say more about what you know. Teach people more about what you know about the midline from an embryological point of view. In other words, how we're defining core. Okay. So, you know, in going from a mechanistic model to a more dynamic, bio-intelligent model, as you call it, Liz, it's we really start touching the mystery because, and I think that's where biomechanics gets caught, is that, 
it's a fix-it model, and it's very linear. If I do this, it will fix this. And it just doesn't work like that. You know, it just doesn't. Bodies have their own intelligence, their own history, their own psychology, emotionality, so that when we start touching this mystery and this place where what is core, it, it really shows itself in the beginning of embryological life. About uh, 15 days after fertilization, there's a primitive streak that begins to arise. And where, how did that start? And that later turns into or forms into um, something called a notochord. And this notochord is literally following a center line of the embryonic disc which everything will form around, and the notochord is literally signaling to, it's like, Bill, put this here and put this there, and the liver goes there, and the spleen goes over here, and these bones have to start forming now. I mean, it's such an amazing process how form develops from this ignition of this primitive streak this primitive node that singles, uh, signals uh, this process and then the notochord that's arising that's again signaling, communicating the various uh, geographical locations of what we know our body to be. It's, but again, we're touching a mystery, this mystery called life. And I think that that's where the uh, perhaps the uh, reductionist, the biomechanics, really stops and doesn't allow that level of questioning and not knowing because there's so much richness when we cannot know and we can be in that place of uncertainty, not knowing what to do next, not knowing. But if I have a, a form to follow, if I think this is the way a joint works, then there's no mystery. There's no exploration. And there's not the possibility for the intelligence of the body, knowing its own organic placement, to come to the fore. I want to touch that organic intelligence that knows how the acetabulum and the ball of the femur fit together and not try and put it in a place I think it should be because of an anatomy book. Uh, well, that could least be to the idea around those who are uh, therapists who are working with people. I hear this often in my workshops. Well, you know, I love this work, but, but what about, you know, getting results? What about the person who comes in and says, hey, you know, will you palpate my psoas or trigger point it because that will relieve my pain for, you know, 10 minutes or a half hour or an hour or whatever. And, um, and so the skill of not knowing, I'd like you to talk about that because not knowing from a therapist's point of view, you're supposed to know. You know you're supposed to know how to fix someone. That's why someone comes and pays you. So how do you work with that as a, as a, a very functional and very um, successful therapist? Um, I listen. Um, and, you know, it's, 
it's taken me a long time to find that place where I wasn't driven by what I thought something should look like or a template or but really by finding a deep level of comfort in my own body as I work like in my in my belly this place of ease and I trust my hands at this point in time more than my brain when I'm working so I try and sense their system coming into my hands and in the best sessions it's like stepping into the river with someone and going with this flow through their system and always finding the integration through that integration i think is is the organic messenger it's like oh it's not just about the knee and i have to have to say dr rolf said it's never where you think it is and i have found that to be true over and over again that the problem may the pain may be in the knee but i have to address the ankle the foot the other hip the shoulder the cervical spine or whatever or the toe that and those listening cultivating our hands so they're not just putting information in it's like having a one-way dialogue with a friend you know where you're doing all the talking and you're not listening to what they have to say so it's really about how oh, how do i listen and respond just like you would with a, a good friend you have this exchange this dialogue that goes on that can be so profound and we're doing it through our hands and through touch that's great yeah that's quite a skill i mean you know, i think uh uh i'm sure some zen zen philosopher has said this as well as others but it almost feels like it is a beginner's mind each time you're approaching because you're willing and you feel confident enough to be present to the person and allow their system to show up that's right liz and that takes a lot of confidence so that takes being in your own core which is why i've always worked with people that way because i feel like if you want to learn the kind of skill i have developed in my own hands around being able to read the psoas the first place to begin is with your own core and sensing that because that actually builds the integrity or the coherence for you to feel safe enough to be in the unknown that's absolutely true you have it starts from that deep inner sense yeah. and rest because otherwise i always i always tell people i always tell therapists i think there's actually what ends up happening for people is as a therapist you almost get a fear response oh god i got to do something this person's not you know comfortable or they've come to me they've asked for my help and so you're actually struggling with your own response around helping that uh sets off those same kind of responses that I would call almost a a subtle but it, and maybe even invisible fear response in yourself. And so you really have to be able to stay present to what's going on in your system to be in the presence of someone's system who is really feeling disrupted or feeling incoherent or feeling 
uh, a lack of integrity or a lack of of um, just a sense of self. And we know pain can do that, you know. Yes, pain can. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really, so that takes me to the idea that you're really holding space. Um, And that's an embryological uh, perspective because we know that as the embryo develops, it doesn't develop isolated from the space or the fluid that it's growing in. So I want to bring that back around to, you mentioned it with our hand. Uh, mm-hmm. It's basically, you're, you're, we're kind of heading into the concept of fields. That's, that's a really good segue because um, the embryo literally grows inside these different, I'll call them bubbles, but they're, they're not. But they're these fluid spheres. And um, as well as being embedded in the uterine wall, which is that matrix of nutrition initially. So you do, you're always embedded in the surrounding spheres that are um, part of protection, part of nourishment, and the growth of the embryo. And, And I think, and I feel that what we lose as we grow is that same sense of, oh, there is a sphere which I'm also in. I'm embedded in my environment. And this is where the environment becomes so important to us because that is also shaping us. And just to circle back for a moment into the embryological approach, there was this um, embryologist, Dr. Eric Blechschmidt, who recognized that there were these metabolic fields that were literally shaping the embryo as it grew, these metabolic fields that sometimes cause the pressure gradients, cause something to condense and form ligament or to expand and stretch or to flow in a certain way so that these fields around the embryo were literally what's shaping it, not just genetics. And I think that's a, that's a very new concept, that we're not just driven by our genes. We're also driven by the information that's coming in from our environment, whether that's family or beliefs or the city we live in. All of that is informing us, too. In fact, from osteopathy, they say that these fields that surround us now also help to sustain our health and vitality over time so that we're not separate. But it's easy in our culture to start feeling that we are isolated and separate from these supporting fields and forces that we live in. And that's where the biodynamic uh, cranial work comes in. It's really recognizing these therapeutic forces of nature that continue to shape shape us. It 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 demands as um, I think as as therapists uh, it demands a lot because to fix it is is a model is something we're all used to being trained in you're looking for the problem and you're looking for the thing 
And it's, it's that idea of looking at the thing rather than looking at the space around the thing and, uh, and feeling the energy or the, 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 the impact of the field of something that you can't see. You can only sense it. And, and that takes us into the whole way we're trained in our culture to focus on something rather than everything else around it. So as a, as a therapist, how did you begin to, to open your field or open your understanding? You mentioned the idea of like not just having this idea, this thing as, well, I can fix this because this should go here, like a putting a puzzle together. But you began to kind of step back in yourself and, and allow yourself to also be touched by the field of what's going on between you, your client. Tell me more about that. Tell us more about that. Well, I think it started with my eyes. And I was um, extremely myopic or nearsighted growing up. So in order to see, I had to focus on everything, even the split ends of my hair. You know, that, that was close and I could see those split ends. But that, that really took my focus, my gaze, into a very narrow point. And as I started working more with my eyes, the peripheral vision, it's like, oh, sensing the sides of the room. Oh, can I, from where I'm sitting, can I also have a sense or a, even a visual of the sides of the room I'm sitting in? Oh, what about the backspace? Can I feel and sense the backspace? And as I started working more and more, cultivating a sense of, oh, my hands may be on the top of someone's body, but I'm going to also include in my perception the backside of them. Oh, I'm also going to include in my perception, ah, outside the window, every once in a while, look out at the space between the limbs of the trees so that I use nature to be able to cultivate a wider perceptual field. And that, that was extremely important to begin to, to really start looking at how do I see. Then bringing in backspace because I would lose the backspace of my body. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be driving or computer. And we all, you know, from all the computer work and reading and driving, it's like the backspace of our bodies can disappear. And so, oh, can I sense the weightedness of my scapula? Ooh, can I sense or describe what's on the wall behind me? Can I extend um, my senses to include the room? And then how centered am I in my own sense of ease and comfort in my body and that allows even more of a multi-dimensional or directional perception but I have to be comfortable easy relaxed in my own belly and then that begins to allow that expansion if my shoulders are up around my ears or I'm overly fixated on a point in front of me or a person then, or apart, 
then I lose that sense of ease in my belly and I lose that sense of the dimensionality that's around me. The other piece that was extremely important um, was traveling to teach in Japan. And the culture is very different than ours. Uh, We're so independent and pioneer-spirited here. And in Japan, what I experienced was the connectivity between people impersonal perhaps but it's connected so that there was this sense of relationship in a group that we did everything together it was almost tribal that gave me also the sense of the space and the information that travels for them in the space itself If they want something to happen, all of a sudden the communication is, I don't know how it works, but something appears. (laughs) You know, Carol wants to go here. All of a sudden the arrangements are made. It's like lightning speed. Also their sense of space and the beauty of space, whether it's in their Ichabon training the flower arrangement or I'm walking down a street in Tokyo one of the biggest cities in the world, and I'll turn a corner and there'll be a shrine or a temple or a small, small shrine with just a little light bulb in it. But their sense of how they relate to space is very different than we do here. We like space out in front of us, around us, which is great, they seem to have cultivated an internal spaciousness which um, shows itself in different ways. So they see not only the object but the space the object is in. I think the ability um, to, to, um, to develop different ways of perceiving, it's a kind of whether it's like traveling or language, it opens our perception And one of the things I thought was so important about changing the paradigm was not whether you, you know, you could go back and forth and use various paradigms to resolve an issue, but it's the ability to change the perception, um, which then opens, I think, uh, new pathways, both neurologically in ourselves, as well as new ideas and new ways of understanding and so when you went to a different culture i think that in itself shifts that the same way when someone comes here it shifts it for them and i would say that that relates to me a lot about the psoas because when you were talking about its its directions i think of the psoas you know it's about the size of your fist so you're looking at a multi-directional non-directional tissue that has a back body, that has a side body. And um, one way to think of it is uh, like a cucumber. And so uh, like a cucumber has multiple directions. It's not simply going in two directions. It's going in multiple directions because the species doesn't necessarily demand or care about being vertical and moving forward. 
So as a biological species, that's not necessarily our imperative. It is our cultural imperative to get up and move forward and drive our car and drive our computer and and do these things forward. And But like you said, like your belly, it's almost like the eyes could be in the belly. Uh, <laughs> but they could be multiple eyes in different directions. And that's that, how I think of the psoas. That's beautiful. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like, and that, Liz, is what brings forward this magic of the body. You know, that, wow, to be in this body and to have it as a sensory system that's open to perception and emotion and feeling and waves moving through us, the fluidity of us, the, that we're not hardened and static is so great. And I love thinking of the psoas in that way. It's beautiful. Yeah, and so that's why I play a lot and what I would encourage people when working with someone is to also, as you were saying, like whether it's a, a ball, like I use the, the Italian slow-mo balls, the same kind of thing, because I want to experience my back body. I want to experience my side body. And because our culture is, is moving up and forward, it literally takes the tissue and and forces it to move in a certain direction. Whereas as soon as we open up back body, we open up side body, there's a deep relaxation because you can, as I don't know who told me this once, fall back into the hammock of life. Oh, that's great. So you feel supported by life rather than I have to do this. That's absolutely true. And it's that resting into that back space that literally we're not slumping. We're just finding that support that's all around us, that's in that oftentimes the missing dimension mm-hmm. of our perception. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine says, the eyes are the headlights of the fascia. And I have found that to be so true because how our vision orients us in space or uh, turns our head, let's say our computer sitting to the left all the time. Well, our whole pattern is going to be twisting that way because the eyes have so, they're a brain. The eyes are the forward brain of our body. And it's like where we touch our brain. So that literally the power behind our vision is also what shapes us. So allowing ourselves to soften our eyes, widen that perceptual sense, allows that backspace that you're so beautifully talking about, Liz, to really become a palpable reality. Yeah. Yeah, and that you bring up also a piece that I think is important because we often think of, I, I feel like people tend to divide their style of working either into biomechanics or uh, fun- what we might call functional movement to this embryological um, fluid system that's more elusive, more buoyant, more dynamic and expressive, more poetic. Um, and so there's this like parting of the sea. But I, I see that the function uh, functional work for me so in other words how I sit at my desk how I drive my car and 
is a big piece of whether I have a healthy psoas or not because of just what you're talking about, the way the tissue, the way the eyes shape, the way the field and that chair shapes me. At the same time, I find that when I do this very uh, fluid movement work, my perception becomes better and I can't tolerate the dysfunctional chair. I won't sit on it. I won't sit on it. I don't sit on dysfunctional chairs. No. That's my perception right. refuses to allow me to. It's, it's not comfortable. I'm not happy there. I don't want to be there. So I have to change my environment. And I think, isn't it strange that we've created this environment where the most important thing about a chair is whether it can stack, not whether it <laughs> right. supports a human being, but we designed it. So That's right. I think if we're going to design a better world, the inclusion, uh, as you're saying, this inclusion of all of it, has to be a part of our next step to create a world that literally feels supportive. That's right. In in our functional world, in our cultural world, versus what nature does, which supports all of us in all our our many, many manifestations. Wonderfully said. Maybe we should open it. Maybe we should open it up to anyone who'd like to ask a question because we've got about 10 minutes. Is there anything else you want to bring in before we do that? Um, No, this is, I just want to say this has been just wonderful fun and exciting and uh, really touches. It's like touching this, this place that is, has so much potential for joy in our bodies to experience that. Yes, I, I feel like it's hopeful. It, to me, the embryological model is very hopeful because it brings you back to knowing that your system, like people say, well, gee, can this problem be solved or can I, will I ever feel different or will I ever feel myself again? And, yes. and I always say, well, as long as you're breathing and your tissue is recreating itself, the, the, potenti- the potential is there. And so it's a very hopeful model, which I really love you know, it creates a lot of hope and, and really, truly uh, does. It shifts things tremendously when you're working in the model that you've included, uh, this inclusive model of, of fields and embryology and perception and this idea of opening, allowing the system to open like a flower rather than coming in trying to fix it and put your finger on the problem that's right that's right let's uh would anyone like to ask carol a question all you have to do is star six and you'll come on as a speaker and you can just speak up and ask your question hello carol um this is therese from michigan um first of all i want to thank you both um for sharing your knowledge and your communication skills are just really stellar, both of you. Um, oh, thank it's you. It's really wonderful. Thank you. Um, something that really resonated with me, um, it, it is my mother's birthday, who I'm estranged from. <laughs> um, and when you said the disconnection between the, the lower part of your body and the upper, because I've been doing some of the psoas work. I, I'm deeply immersed in yoga. Mm-hmm. There's something that really resonated with me because I was in C-section, and I'm like, oh, I didn't complete this. Mm-hmm. 
because I still have, with as much work as I do, you know, emotionally, all of the stuff I've done for 10, 15, 20 years, I still mm-hmm. have fear issues, which I think maybe everyone does, but it feels like it's a disconnection. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you'll come to Lawrence and we'll play with it. So come to the workshop we're doing together. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great way to, to, to really work with it in a very, very physical way because a lot of times we're playing, we're, you know, we're exploring these ideas, but, you know, the, the, the journey of, uh, from being an embryo to being a human, um, what's called the, you know, from, from womb to world, is uh, is also deeply profoundly affects us, and I know Carol, you've you've seen this in your work with people. You want to mm-hmm. speak about what you see around birth and as actually showing up in tissue. Um, well, what Teresa? What uh, I think that you know we can we have to work with the body. We have to work with. Um, that connectivity that's uh, literally beyond the psychology and deeper than the psychology, and that sometimes those patterns of disconnect between upper and lower body kind of resonate at the level of the respiratory diaphragm. So mm-hmm. being in the field of a group of people really helps to generate the potency literally in a field but also recognize that the respiratory diaphragm that that sits right near that uh, upper part of the psoas is also in relationship to the pelvic diaphragm and above it the thoracic outlet or inlet or aperture so you have this in our torso, these three diaphragms that we really want to be in resonance with. So sometimes what it is that it's maybe you experience the disconnect in a certain place, but what literally we have to work with these different diaphragms that begin to speak and resonate with one another. So I'm thinking pelvic diaphragm and how that relates literally to the feet and that sense of coming into a ground with the earth, with the ground of mother, if you want to call the earth mother, and that kind of relationship that our feet can give us as we yield literally into ground and how that can resonate through. So that's just, you know, without seeing you or having my hands in contact with your system, you know, that's just one one thing I would wonder about is that your, the resonance of your feet with ground and how that feels. You know, high arches, low arches, what's going on with your feet? <laughs> and, right, that's um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, let, let's open it up to someone else. Has someone else like to say something or ask a question? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. 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 Thank you for this very, very interesting uh, program. And um, I'm actually getting very comfortably sleepy as we talk. Um, <laughs> I had to put in a question as part of my registration. Um, and I'll, I am very comfortable now. Let me see if I can really articulate it again. Um, I've been practicing constructive rest um, on and off uh, for 
quite a few years, and it has always been my observation. Um, there's sort of an expectation that um, the arch of the back will slowly uh, let gravity, let it release or, or drop, and it will there'll be a more or less a flattening effect. Um, and that's maybe the first step to working with the psoas. Um, I've never really experienced that result. Um, I mean, I've always noted, I mean, in terms of traditional, um, in terms of academic medicine, um, I, no one's ever told me that I'm sway back, but I do have a noticeable uh, arch. And I don't know. I mean, what I find is that it sometimes it'll seem like it's, it's letting go a little bit, and then it almost locks in place the way a knee will lock if you push it that way. And then it's not so good when I stand up because it's hard to get it back into what it was. I don't know what the significance of this is, but I don't know. Maybe people have a range of experiences when, when they do that um, the constructive rest. So I'm just really curious if you know anyone else who's, who's noted this and what, what it might imply. Okay. You want to take it first, Carol, and then I have something to say too. Sure. Well, you know, sometimes we think Everything that's going on in the lumbar spine is because of the spine. But I found that a lot of times it has more to do with the belly and the viscera, the, the viscera of our bellies. You know, are we holding our stomachs in? Are we, um, do we have issues with our digestion? You know, is there a tension that's always there in our gut? And that as we begin to look at the front side of the back, that that literally begins to help ease the back of our backs. And so that's what I would wonder. And, you know, I'm, you know, breathing into your belly is sometimes, and I'm sure you're doing that already, but breathing into your belly really consciously, soft breaths, easy exhales, so that, and paying attention to the ease and comfort within your own um, abdomen is really important. And that can begin to relax the holding that often occurs in our lumbar spine. Okay. I'd like to also add that two things. One is the connection that you brought up to me about uh, the embryological model um, playing out that we often think of skeletal core uh, being dominant, and yet how much the skeletal core shapes itself around the organ functioning or organs and expression of organs. And the other piece I want to add is that in my work with the psoas, I really am looking at the expression of the midline. And for some people, what I call warding off or startle, which is the arced back, which is the open throat, which is the arms over the head, like that <gasps> kind of thing. Uh, many babies actually come in that way. Um, if you've, you are a C-section baby, you will have come in that way. Um, that is an expression that can often be played with. And by playing with that, you complete an expression that's been there for a very long time and allows the system to come to balance or to more of a midline or to simply uh, center. It's, it's completed something. And one of the things we have to understand about the psoas and the midline is there's expressions there. And they are, they're very dynamic. And if they don't get to, so if someone comes in to work with me and I see that very kind of 
thrown back, what we might say arched back or lordotic spine, I would actually go further into it to, to find neutral rather than try to take them out of it. And so what I could recommend you do is you take a slow mo and you can go on my website and look at how I work with the ball. There's a little video on my homepage, but you place it at the back of the psoas, which helps with the whole diaphragm. It helps with the intestinal tract in the front. So it complements what Carol's saying. And you don't have it very inflated, but you rest over that. So you're in constructive rest, but you actually have something at that place. And you rest over it and you open your throat and you allow that expression to complete itself. And then remove the ball and just see how your spine rests on the floor after that. Thank you. That's very interesting. Thank you. I'll yeah. look at that. Yeah. So we have to stop. It's after three. And uh, yeah, time has flown. So I want to thank you, Carol. It was really fun. People who want to come work with us, this is a really unusual event. It's very hard for two people such as ourselves to come together and work together. It's financially not real viable and it's difficult. So um, take advantage of us. We're both going to be together um, in May 1st to 4th. That's four days of exploring this material and helping those of you who are therapists learn real life skills for helping others. And then for those of you who want to explore yourself only, um, you're going to have the experience to do that and the time to delve deep into your back body. So thanks, Carol. Thank you, Liz. I just so enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Bye.